Hi, good evening, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. We're so glad that you could join us on what was uh, a gorgeous Sunday, to say the very least. This is a wonderful program, and we are truly blessed to have this now at St. Margaret Mary, and we are glad that you have decided to join us here tonight and hope that you'll keep coming back and bringing uh, some friends and family with you as well. Um, my name is Karen Roby Forrest. I'm a parishioner here at St. Margaret Mary. I have three kids who attend school here and some brothers and sister-in-laws and nieces and nephews, and uh, I love this parish, and I love being a part of different programs here, and CEO being one of the newer ones that I have uh, joined on to become, um, to play a role in, and I couldn't be happier that I made that decision. So we're glad that you're here with us today. Now, CEO answers the church's call to evangelize, which is for some people can be an uncomfortable word if you um, aren't familiar with it or what it means, but it, it simply just means to share uh, the good word, that CEO is a Christ-centered, lay-driven, grassroots ministry organized and presented by ordinary people for ordinary people. The purpose of CEO is for lay people to share their experience of how God has moved in their lives to bring them into a more personal relationship with him. Now, our speakers are carefully chosen, and their presentations are reviewed ahead of time by a small team uh, to make sure that their talk is well organized and that their remarks are all grounded in scripture and teachers, teachings of the Catholic Church. Through our CEO series, we've offered several stories. Uh, maybe some of you, actually, I know a lot of you have, have heard those through the last couple of months of ordinary people's faith journeys. We hope that their stories uh, that they have shared and Miss Deanna's as well will help to share good, the God's good news with you and help strengthen your faith as well. Uh, tonight's speaker has had a strong faith-filled upbringing that continued well into her adult life. However, nothing could have prepared her for the near-death experience of a few years ago that absolutely changed her life. And her story is what happens when heaven sends you back. Now, it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for tonight, Miss Deanna Barnes. Miss Deanna, just a little background for you. She grew up in Murray, Kentucky and attended St. Leo's Catholic Church. She married her college sweetheart, Derek, many of you know, of course, and they've been happily married and in love for almost 21 years. Together, they have a daughter, Kaylee, and two cute dogs. Now, Miss Deanna and Derek have been members of St. Margaret Mary for almost 17 years. Derek, of course, is an ordained deacon. Miss Deanna has served as the school's PTA president. She's very busy, has been for years. If you know her, she's done just about everything. Uh, the Fall Festival chairman, Sunday school and vacation Bible school coordinator, chairperson for Gather the Children, cheerleading coordinator and a cheerleading coach, as well as the chairperson of the Advent Tea and the chairperson for Women's Ministries. Also, along with her husband, she helps coordinate the marriage preparedness program here at St. Margaret Mary. Her most active ministry, though, has been the ministry of mothers sharing, or uh, what's called mom's program here, where she was the facilitator for eight years. So needless to say, Miss Deanna has uh, made quite an impact here on our parish. Now, as a woman of the uh, diaconate, Miss Deanna writes a monthly column for the newsletter and posts a spiritual blog called The Real Deacon's Wife. Miss Deanna loves to share her enthusiasm and joy of the Catholic faith to help bring clarity and excitement to others about their Catholic faith. If you would please welcome Miss Deanna. I'd like to let you know that the witness that I'm about to share with you is my personal story. I've been called by the Holy Spirit to tell my story this evening. I also want to preface this witness by saying that there are a lot of stories out in the public today that talk about heaven and what heaven is really like. But this is my story, and since it happened five years ago, I've personally shied away from reading, listening, or watching on television anything that had to do with heaven. I didn't want another story to influence or taint my beautiful experience that I remembered. My story is genuine and powerful and a true testament to the glory of God. So let's start at the beginning. My name, of course, is Miss Deanna Barnes. I grew up in Murray, Kentucky, 
which is a small college town in the western part of the state. My dad was a college professor at Murray State University and a devout Catholic. My mom was a school counselor who put her career on hold to be a stay-at-home mom and raise their three children. I'm the oldest of those three children. My mom was a convert to the Catholic Church who gave her children a great love of God, but also a great love of Holy Scripture. She would forever have us learning Bible verses, writing and repeating those verses to her. After high school, like you've already heard, I went to Western Kentucky University, where I met and married my college sweetheart in May of 1995. In the summer of 1997, we welcomed our daughter, Kaylee Carolyn, into the world and into our faith community. It was the only time I've ever been able to join God in creating a miracle. As a family of faith, we are regular churchgoers and participate, as you heard, in a wide variety of church activities and community events. And in August of 2012, my husband was ordained as a permanent deacon in the Catholic Church. But my story begins years before that in 2009. It was the week of Thanksgiving in 2009, and it was a week that found me sick at my stomach with what I thought was a terrible case of the flu. I remember laying on the cold, hard dance floor of Miss Jennifer's Dance Studio, Elite Academy of Dance and the Performing Arts, on the night before Thanksgiving. As the newly formed St. Margaret Mary dance team practiced their routines for an upcoming dance competition, I remember thinking to myself, I'm really, really sick. I felt weak and tired and mad about catching this horrible case of the flu, especially the week of Thanksgiving. Now, I've been sick before, but this time it felt different. Maybe it was because I was getting older. Maybe it was because I was just really run down. Or maybe it was simply because I was really, really tired. Whatever the reason I'd gotten sick didn't really matter because tomorrow was Thanksgiving Day and this illness was not keeping me down. I remember saying Isaiah 40:29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Despite my sickness, I knew God was with me, beside me, carrying me even when I could hardly carry myself. You see, I'd been weak and sick before, and I hadn't let that stop me, and it wasn't going to stop me now. If you can't tell, I'm pretty stubborn-headed. So I decided the next day that I was going to be the hostess with the mostess. I would serve my family Thanksgiving dinner with a smile on my face, no matter how badly my stomach hurt or how terrible I felt. Unfortunately, by Thanksgiving Day, my situation had become much more critical, and I found myself confined to bed, weak, tired, and scared. I remember being curled in a ball, unable to stand without feeling faint. My stomach hurt something awful, and I couldn't eat or drink anything without immediately throwing it up. I remember struggling to keep the tears back as the pain engulfed me, and I lay miserably in bed, unable to get comfortable, unable to sleep unable to ease the burning and aching I felt inside. I remember reaching for my Bible and looking up Mark 5, 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. On a day when I was supposed to be gathering in thanksgiving and celebration with my family, I was feeling very afflicted and not very thankful. Nor was I in any mood to celebrate. 
and I certainly was in no shape to cook and host a big Thanksgiving event for my husband's side of the family. So as I lay grasping my stomach in pain and hardly able to make it to the bathroom to throw up, my sweet and somewhat independent 12-year-old daughter Kaylee became even more independent that day as she acted in my place with some help from my husband and made and hosted Thanksgiving dinner for 18 people that afternoon in our home. Now, I remember laying in bed upstairs feeling terrible and very guilty because I wasn't downstairs with my family celebrating. Instead, I was confined to my bedroom trying to battle this alleged horrible case of the flu. In reality, I should have been on my way to the emergency room because by Thursday evening, I was not only clammy, I was severely dehydrated. Remember when I said I was pretty stubborn? Well, I was, and I wasn't about to run, ruin anyone's Thanksgiving festivities for my daughter or my husband or our family. So I lay miserably upstairs, keeping my growing concern for my health to myself. I went to bed Thanksgiving night in miserable pain. I remember being so hot that I slept with all the covers off and begged Derek to put cold rags on my forehead continually throughout the night. When the morning came, I was in worse shape than I had been the night before. While Derek got ready for work, I lay helpless, hot, and in excruciating pain in our bed, trying to reassure him that I'd be all right. And I didn't need to go to the doctor that morning. It'll pass, I said. It's just really a bad case of the flu. So he went on into work, knowing he'd probably be back later to take me to the emergency room. And he was right. By noon on that Friday after Thanksgiving, the pain had gotten so bad that I called my husband at work to tell him I couldn't stand it anymore. I was dry heaving badly by then and had even begun to have terrible cold chills. I was so weak that I could hardly lift my head off the pillow. It literally took Derek seven and a half minutes to get home, get my weak body out of bed and into the family Jeep and heading towards the nearest hospital. Now, when we arrived at Baptist East, there were a ton of people waiting in the emergency room. Even though I was really sick, I wasn't what the ER doctors and nurses called critical. So I didn't have to be seen immediately. So there I sat, and sat, and sat. After one patient after another went back to see the doctors. Finally, after we'd been there for a little over three hours, a nurse came to tell me that they could see me now. What happened next is pretty much a blur. However, I do remember them taking my temperature, taking my blood pressure, and giving me something for the vomiting, and taping, taking a couple of x-rays of my stomach. By the time the x-rays came back, my dry heaving had stopped, and the ER doctors had given me fluids for my severe dehydration. To our surprise, the stomach x-rays showed a slipped lap band. Three years earlier, in 2006, to lose all the weight I'd gained from a car wreck I had in 2003, I had a lap band put in. Now, for those of you who don't know what a lap band is, the lap band is a device that shrinks the size of the stomach so that you fill up faster, take in less calories, and therefore lose weight. Because of the lap band, I lost almost 200 pounds. So with the knowledge of a slip lap band, the ER's doctors drained more than four liters, that's exactly two huge bottles of Coca-Cola, off my stomach. They then created a contraption that continued to drain fluid off my stomach, keeping it completely empty. I was only allowed to eat ice chips and given another bag of IV fluids. They then admitted me to the hospital. 
since I would have to have surgery for them to repair and replace the lap band. Since I was admitted during the Thanksgiving holiday, the hospital was running on a skeleton crew. They told me Saturday that they'd keep me comfortable over the weekend and that the surgeon would come in on Saturday and give me a consult and I'd probably have to have surgery to, prepare, to repair the lap band on Tuesday. Now I remember finally arriving in my room at Baptist East and being so relieved after a week of being really sick to finally know what was making me feel so badly and what needed to happen to make me get better. But I was also scared and pretty worried because I wasn't sure how everything would actually play out. I remember reciting Joshua 1.9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I found peace and comfort in God's promise to be with me always. I ended up staying at Baptist East for about 24 hours. Once Saturday rolled around, Derek and I decided to call the doctor who had handled my lap band surgery. We decided to contact this doctor after having a consult with the Baptist East surgeon who was assigned to my case. He basically told us that he would do the repairing surgery, but he didn't really want to. That the doctor who had put my lap band in should really be the one to handle the slipped lap band. So after calling my lap band doctor and discovering that he didn't have privileges at Baptist East, I checked myself out of the hospital early on Saturday morning. And my kind and dedicated husband drove me halfway across town to St. Mary and Elizabeth Hospital, where my lap band doctor did have privileges. I was immediately admitted, and by two o'clock in the afternoon, I was more miserable and more sick than I was at Baptist East. My lap band doctor came to the hospital on Saturday afternoon, his three-year-old son in tow, and deflated my lap band until he could perform surgery to fix the band on Tuesday after the holiday. My doctor was concerned because I was still very dehydrated but thought as I had that I really had been sick with the flu. He also thought that it was this terrible case of the flu and the continuous vomiting that went along with it that actually caused my lap band to slip. So he ordered more intravenous fluids and asked Derek and me and the nursing staff at, and told Derek and I that the nursing staff at St. Mary and Elizabeth Hospital would take good care of me and left me in their capable hands. On Saturday night, I still ate and had some slight discomfort and nausea, but the sharp and non-ceasing pain that I felt at Baptist East, it had ended. We all thought I was on my way to getting better. That wasn't the case. My temperature began to give the nursing staff cause for great concern, getting higher and higher not lowering, it was creating some serious concern and confusion. I remember the nursing staff telling me that the doctor had ordered another x-ray and an MRI of my stomach, only to discover that the radiology department was out for the Thanksgiving holiday. I'd just have to wait till Monday before they could get a really good look at what was going on inside of me. Now, I had a lot of trouble sleeping that night. I remember being restless and uncomfortable, and about 5 a.m. on Sunday morning, my stomach began to hurt badly again. Sharp, shooting pains made me feel like I was going to die. The sad part was that no matter how nice or friendly my nursing staff was, they didn't seem to be taking my increased abdominal pain seriously. All I remember them telling what, me was to hang in there. It would be all better on Tuesday when they fixed the lap band. 
Most of Sunday is truly a blur to me. Derek tells me I slept most of the day, waking up periodically and asking for ice chips and pain medication to make the increasing abdominal pain go away. All I remember as far as Sunday goes is Derek leaving for Mass on Sunday morning and bringing back Father with him to pray over me and give me the anointing of the sick. I'm not sure how long Father actually stayed, but I do remember waking up and finding him, Derek, and Bonnie Chester from St. Margaret Mary holding hands and praying over me and asking God for my ultimate healing and quick recovery. I remember repeating my favorite Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, over and over again in my head as they prayed lovingly over me. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to bring you harm. I knew I would be fine because I was in God's hands. Now, years before, I'd had a vivid dream about dying before the age of 40. As I lay in the hospital bed on that Sunday afternoon, I felt like I was probably at death's door. And I was okay with that because I was ready. If it was my time, I was ready. If God called me home, I would willingly go. The next thing I remember is being covered in sweat and Derek telling me that my stomach and me telling Derek that my stomach felt like a big bottle of Sprite had popped open inside of me. As the day went on, it only got worse. I began to slip in and out of consciousness, and Derek had just gotten back from taking Father home when the nurse came in to check on me after the 7 o'clock staff change. She was shocked. She was shocked to find me non-responsive, very heated, clammy, and sweating so badly that she had no choice but to call ICU. I was in shock. They moved me upstairs to ICU, and within 15 minutes of getting there, my blood pressure went to zero, and I coded for the first time. I remember them taking off my wedding ring and handing it to Derek. I also remember them cutting off my underwear. I heard what someone say, she's coding, and then there was a long, annoying beep. Suddenly, I was floating above my body, looking down at the doctors and nurses working to bring me back. I could hear them shouting orders at each other, their voices a long way off, as if I was in a far away tunnel. I saw Derek off to the side. His face was hard and chiseled. His teeth were clenched. He was silent, deep in prayer. His face was full of concern, full of worry, and full of love for me. His prayers were so sweet and so tender as he asked God to return me to him and to our life in Louisville. All of a sudden, I felt a warm heat on my back and at the base of my neck. I turned around to find myself standing barefoot on cool green grass, a beautiful glow in the sky and greenness all around me. It reminded me of summer in the fields of Western Kentucky when I was a little girl. It was green, lush, so beautiful. To the left of me was a glistening white and gold garden gate. Purple, pink, and blue flowers covered the white arch above the gate door. It was the prettiest garden gate I had ever seen. It shimmered in the brilliant light. Beyond the gate was a meadow of greenness and wildflowers. A dark blue sparkling body of water lay off in the distance. On the banks of the large pond were several weeping willows and one huge tree. It was the most beautiful and peaceful place I had ever seen. To my right was a long, windy gravel path. It seemed to go on forever, 
leading somewhere, but I couldn't see where. It was pretty, maybe even peaceful, but not as beautiful as what lay beyond the garden gate. But it was still a nice-looking path. In front of me, the beautiful glow in the sky began to descend and appear before me as a bright ball of white light. It was warm, and it floated closer to me. My mother's face appeared. She didn't look like how she had looked when she had passed away six years earlier. She wasn't tired. She wasn't haggard. She definitely wasn't stressed out. Her face was how I remembered her in my mid-30s. It was how I remembered her in her mid-30s when my brother was two years old and a little boy. She was so beautiful and so bright. I reached to touch her, and she took my hand, touching it gently to her face. Now, I was a bit surprised because it didn't feel like a real face with skin and bones, but rather something warm and kind and loving. She looked into my eyes and said, Darling daughter, you must go back. You can't leave a 12-year-old and a 40-year-old alone. You must go back. I don't want to go back, I told her. I want to go through those garden gates. I want to run and play and be in peace in that meadow. I said defiantly to her. Again, my mother took my hand, but this time she held it more firmly in her bright, glowing presence. I could feel her warmth, her concern, and her love for me. Then a beautiful peace radiated throughout my entire body. You must go back, she said. But this time when she said it, it wasn't a request, but rather a command. Before I could disagree with her again, another ball of light, glowing white light, came up behind her. This time, the face of my grandmother, my nanny, Margaret Lucille, appeared. She, too, looked much younger than when she had passed away almost 20 years earlier. She looked like she had when she was raising her children, somewhere around the age of 35. She was young and vibrant and beautiful. You must go back. Their hands coming out in front of their bodies. Slowly, deliberately, softly pushing me backwards. It felt as if a strong wind had blown up to help me leave heaven and return to my body. I slowly felt myself moving backwards then falling faster and faster until I landed back in my body, gasping for breath. I heard the ICU team yelling things like, We got her! She's back! She's with us again! After coding that first time, the team at ICU was able to stabilize me and get me prepped and ready for emergency surgery. My lap band doctor returned to the hospital and around 11 o'clock on Sunday night, I was wheeled into the operating room at St. Mary and Elizabeth Hospital to repair my lap band. It wasn't until they had me on the operating table that they discovered my stomach had actually ruptured. When the lap band had slipped, it had turned the lower part of my stomach inside out, causing that portion of my stomach to become necrotic and eventually burst. At that point, digestive juices had pulsed through my body, causing me to become septic and eventually send me into shock. I had so much dead tissue in my stomach that my lap band doctor and the surgery team did a gastric sleeve procedure on me, cutting out all the disease and necrotic tissue and leaving me with only half a stomach. When I coded a second time, my lap band doctor and the surgery team were a ways into my surgery. I remember being totally knocked out, 
than hearing that familiar, annoying beeping noise. It was the sound of my blood pressure bottoming out and me dying again. The sound startled me, and again I found myself outside my body. As I looked down at the doctors and nurses working to bring me back, I was surprised to find myself cut open from under my breast all the way to my belly button. My guts spilling out on the operating table as they again tried to bring me back. And my lap band doctor yelled, Come on, don't die on me now! I again felt that familiar warmth at my back. I didn't turn around immediately, but I went looking for Derek. I found him in the hospital chapel, down on his knees, praying, begging God to exchange his life for mine. My heart went out to him. I wanted to wrap him in my arms and console him. But all of a sudden, it was as if the fast-forward button had got pushed on my life, and I was searching for Kaylee. I found her sitting on a bed at a house I didn't recognize, reading. She, too, was full of worry and fear as she read her book and fought back tears of love for me. That warm feeling again penetrated on my neck and back. This time I turned around and found myself at the same lush green area. The same beautiful shimmering white and gold garden gate to my left, the same winding path to my right, and my mother's glowing face in front of me. It's not your time, she said. You have to go back. You can't leave a 12-year-old and a 40-year-old to fend for themselves. You have to go back. My mom was adamant that I couldn't stay in this beautiful and peaceful place. But all I could think about was 1 Corinthians 2.8. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has ready for those who love him. But I did know. I had seen. And I wanted badly to stay and experience it all. Just one time. So before she could send me back, I opened the garden gate and was running with my hands spread wide in the meadow. My hair blowing in the wind. And then I realized... I, the woman who had been crippled, who hadn't run in six years, was free of pain and was running, truly running in God's beautiful garden. To be free at last from pain and suffering, that was an incredible feeling, nothing short of a true miracle. I could hardly believe how wonderful it felt not to hurt anymore. Suddenly I was stopped dead in my tracks. My mother's glowing white figure again stood before me. You have to go back, honey, she told me. It's just not your time. Again, my grandmother joined her. You have to go back. You have to bake the lilac cake, she said. You can't leave a 12-year-old and a 40-year-old alone. They still need you. Now, I had no idea what she was talking about regarding that lilac cake. However, later, when I had time to really reflect on the symbolism and significance of the lilac, I learned that purple lilacs symbolize first love, field lilacs symbolize charity, and white lilacs represent humility and innocence. No matter the color, when I think of the lilac and its sweet smell, I am reminded that its sweet aroma is a gift from God. So today, and almost every day, since that time, I wear a flower in my hair and have since this experience. I do so to remind myself that I am the fragrance of God. 
and that it is this fragrance that has been infused in me through my baptism. And as the fragrance of God, it's my job to let the aroma of Christ come out in every aspect of my life. Now, I still haven't figured out how the actual baking of the lilac cake relates to me and my spiritual journey, but when it's time for me to know, I am confident that God will show me how to bake the lilac cake. Despite me not understanding about the cake, I knew I couldn't stay. Not if it wasn't my time. Not if God wasn't done using me. Not if Derek and Kaylee still needed me. I couldn't let the ones I love so dearly suffer just because I wanted to be selfish. Because I wanted to be free from pain and experience no more suffering. I loved them too much to hurt them like that. So I would go back. As soon as I told my mom and my nanny that I'd go back, we all moved quickly through the garden, coming to stop under what I call the tree of life. There was a white bench under the tree. They motioned for me to sit, so I did. All of a sudden, I was in fast forward again, going quickly through the garden at warp speed, still sitting on the bench, my mother and grandmother's angelic presence next to me. And suddenly, we were out of the garden, and my life began to flash before me. The good moments, when I'd been compassionate and kind. The bad moments, when I'd turned someone away in need. The moments when I had failed to be kind and loving to another. I took it all in. The differences that I'd made, the lives I'd changed, and the ultimate truth the times I'd sinned, made poor decisions, not treated my neighbor with love and kindness. We stopped and my mother and grandmother left my side and went to stand with a large group of people who I somehow knew were members of my family who had passed away. Each was dressed in a white alb-like gown that shimmered and glowed bright white when they moved. I couldn't see their faces, but each one wore either a green, a bright white, or gold stole, crossing their bodies from the top right to the bottom left. It reminded me a lot of what Derek wears when he serves Mass here at St. Margaret Mary. It seems in heaven, everyone wears an alb-like garment with a different color stole. Let me add... And note that as I would reflect on this in years past, the wearing of the white alves, the different colored stoles, especially in preparation for this witness, I realized that all of us, each one of us, is called by our baptism to be priests, prophets, kings. We are called to be priests by bringing the gospel to the world. And that means bringing the gospel to our families, into our friendships, into our workplaces, and into our communities. We are called to be prophets on a daily basis, too. Pope Francis has this amazing saying, and I absolutely love it. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. That means as prophets, we are not only called to talk about the gospel but to daily live the gospel by our actions. And finally, I believe as kings, we are publicly called to live out our faith and serve an example to others, desiring a true relationship with Jesus Christ. As kings, we are called to expand the kingdom of God here on earth. Okay, now back to my story. As my family members gathered to send me back, the group began to part down the middle, and out of the crowd came a very handsome man who I believed was in his early 30s. He looked up, and his piercing eyes met mine. I instantly knew him. 
My Savior Jesus, I cried, stunned to see him. Stunned to personally meet him, I dropped to my knees in adoration. Taking my hand in his, he gently pulled me upwards. He was much taller than me, maybe a little over six feet in height. His eyes were a piercing greenish-blue color, and I was surprised by that because in pictures I'd seen of him, he was portrayed with brown eyes. His hair was dark brown, almost black, very wavy, and hit him right below his chin. I again noted the difference in his hair, which I had always seen portrayed as much longer and curlier. His beard, too, was different than in many of the pictures I'd seen. Instead of being dark and long, it was dark and short, well-trimmed, and hugged his chin, giving him a rugged look. After my experience, I looked through hundreds, hundreds of pictures trying to find the one that depicted the Jesus I had experienced. I wasn't able to find that perfect photograph of him until a year ago when I ran across a website of a child prodigy, Akeen Carmack. Primarily a self-taught painter, Akeen states that God spoke to her when she was three years old, encouraging her to paint and draw her visions. Her painting called I Am, it's the Jesus I saw in heaven. She painted I Am at age 17 in 2011, two years after my experience in heaven. When I encountered Jesus in heaven, he wore a white alb-like robe and a glistening white stole with accents of gold and purple. The stole he wore was not diagonal, like the stoles of my family members, but rather went around his neck, like the one the priest wears when he dresses for Mass here at St. Margaret Mary. Now, after he pulled me to my feet, he looked deep into my eyes and said, it's time for you to go back. Go back and make an impact. Then Jesus slowly let go of my hand, and my family gently pushed me backwards, saying, Go back. Go back for the 12-year-old. Go back for the 40-year-old. Go back and bake the lilac cake. And go back and make an impact. They chanted. That's when I again found myself falling backwards, downwards, faster and faster, further and further away from the heavenly light, from my beloved Jesus, from the place I so badly wanted to be. That's when I knew heaven had sent me back. Soon I again found myself back in my body, gasping for breath. She's back, someone yelled. Damn, that was close, someone else said. And the comments went on and on. Sighs of relief could be heard all around that operating room. Now, I don't remember much more about my hospital stay at St. Mary and Elizabeth until I woke from a coma 13 days later, knowing for certain in my heart that heaven had sent me back. Derek told me later that after the surgery and after I didn't wake up in the recovery room early on Monday morning, a doctor by the name of Mark Sweat, I mean, Dr. Matt Sweat, who Derek didn't realize later was a parishioner at our church, had told him that she, he should call in the family because they didn't expect me to make it through the night. I was put on a ventilator to help me breathe, and received dialysis because my kidneys were shutting down. With that devastating news, Derek called our biological families and our spiritual families. During those 13 days while I was in a coma and struggling to make it back to my family and my faith community, many Catholic deacon candidates, tons of ordained deacons, and their wives Numerous priests, and even Archbishop Kurtz himself, 
came to pray over me. The nursing staff at St. Mary's and Elizabeth began to call them the God Squad. They told me later that the God Squad had laid hands on me, prayed over me, said the rosary for me, held prayer services for me, and literally prayed me back into the living. Hearing that reminded me so much of what is said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Before the 13 days were over, I was given seven bags of a $25,000 per bag antibiotic that killed both the good and bad bacteria in my body. Now, it wasn't a coincidence that only two hospitals in the city of Louisville had that antibiotic on hand. One was the University of Louisville, and the other was where I was at, St. Mary's and Elizabeth Hospital. Later, the nursing staff would tell me that without that medication, I would have died within hours. I often kid Derek about the that time by telling him I was begging to get back into heaven, that I had seen what few get to see and experience, and I wasn't ready to let it all go. Nevertheless, after 13 days of being in a coma, I woke. And when I did, I had a very interesting and very detailed story to tell my husband and anybody who would listen. I believed heaven had literally sent me back to my family, back to my friends, back to my faith community, back to my life here in Louisville. I believed heaven had sent me back with the expectation that I'd make a profound impact when I returned. After much reflection on being sent back, I was reminded of Psalm 119.71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Meaning, if I had never coded, died, seen heaven, and been sent back, might not have that burning desire to live a holier life and truly make the type of impact that God and Jesus would be proud of. I feel my experience has truly changed me for the better. I believe being sent back from heaven has changed the way I live my life. I tell my family and friends exactly how much I love them and value them every chance that I get. My family and friends will also tell you that I am a much that today I live one day at a time instead of living in the past or in the future. That I'm a much more compassionate, kinder person. I've made it past age 40. I'm still among the living. And I'm still trying to find my place, my niche in this great wide world. And I truly feel that I'm a different woman than the one who went into the operating room in 2009. My faith is stronger, and I'm more concerned with serving others than with serving myself. And as far as that lilac cake is concerned, I'm still looking for the perfect lilacs and the perfect recipe. So you ask, why? Why is this important to each of you? I hope my story tonight has given you some insight into what heaven is truly like and what happens to each of us as Christians when God decides to call us home. I further hope that my story encourages you each to live a kinder, more gentler, more faith-filled life. Finally, I hope that this witness serves as a reminder that by our baptism, we are each called to be priests, prophets, and kings, daily living out 
and preaching the gospel and therefore expanding the kingdom of God here on earth. As I close tonight, I challenge each of you to go out and make your impact on your families, in your friendships, at your workplaces, and in your community. To be the fragrance of God and to let the aroma of Christ come out in every single aspect of your life. Good luck to each of you, and God bless. Ms. Diana, thank you. Thank you, Miss Anna, for sharing your story with us. It was really amazing. Oh, and um, Just a couple things real quick before we break. Um, we want to ask you for your prayers uh, for our CEO program uh, that we may be able to continue to share the good news. And we'd like to invite you to our next event, which is set for April 17th at 630, uh, when Parishioner Bill Roby will share his story. You can learn how God has guided his life through the abundant, bountiful times, as well as through the fear and challenges of his time serving in Vietnam and how this has shaped his life of service. So we look forward to that again on April 17th and encourage you and ask you to bring uh, some, maybe some friends and family members with you as well. So thank you guys so much uh, for coming out here with us tonight and joining us for our event. So thank you again for sharing your story with us. It's truly amazing, and I think we're all blessed to have heard it. Have a great night. Thank you.